at Jesus' birth, light was coming into the darkness of our world. Do you understand that? Our world is broken. It's broken by sin, broken by the fall. And it continued from the beginning of creation. And when the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world, wrapped himself in flesh, he was bringing light into a dark world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that at this time of the year, we get to zoom in close and take a look at the Gospels and what they say about the birth of your son, the Lord Jesus. But ultimately, it was salvation. Salvation was coming to the earth in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was on a mission. He had to take on flesh. And from his inception in the womb, he knew he was destined for the cross. It was about bringing us back to you, God. Bringing honor and glory to the Son of God by saving us and restoring our fellowship with you. Lord Jesus, thank you for the light. Lord, help us to walk in the light as you are in the light. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we magnify you. Thank you for this beautiful worship, these beautiful Christmas songs. Thank you for our worship team. And Lord, now, let that same spirit of worship that's taking place over the, through these songs, let it continue in our study of your word. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, Father. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may have a seat. Amen. How's everybody doing? Y'all ready for Christmas? Because guess what? Ready or not, here it comes. <laughs> it's good to see you guys. You know, we, uh, we've been working our way verse by verse um, through the New Testament, and we finished up 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude. We're bridging our way. God planned it this way for the month of December. I didn't plan it this way. I didn't, like, look out through October, November, say, okay, I got to plan it. But we finished Jude at the end of November, and... Uh, so Christmas, we're going to spend three weeks looking at Christmas. And then January, the first Sunday of January, we're kicking off 2022 strong with a verse-by-verse expository teaching of the book of Revelation. We are going to dive into it. That subject that nobody wants to talk about, we are going to talk about it uh, in our study of the book of Revelation on Sunday morning. Probably spend two-thirds, probably spend around two-thirds of 2022 in the book of Revelation is what I'm, I'm estimating. And then on Wednesday nights, uh, don't forget to join us. We're, we're, we're breaking up the men's and, men's and women's Bible studies that we normally do. And we'll be meeting here in the sanctuary. And I'll be teaching on the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to, I say eight weeks. It could be 12 weeks. Somewhere in there, we're just going to go as the Lord leads us. And we're going to study what it means to live the Spirit-filled life. So I hope you'll make plans to join us. But turn in your Bibles this morning to... Matthew, Matthew, we're looking this morning at the, the, the title of my message is The Birth of Christ Jesus the King. The Birth of Christ Jesus the King. What did we look at last week? Do you remember? We, last week we looked at the Gospel of John. And we looked at Jesus' birth from heaven's angle. We saw that the, the word took on flesh. That Jesus existed before his birth. And, and in his coming to earth... Uh, he took on flesh so that he can make a way for our salvation. 
So today we're looking at Jesus' birth from uh, Joseph's angle. And Joseph's angle of Jesus' birth is given to us in the Gospel of Matthew. And then next week, Lord willing, we will look at Christ's birth um, from Mary's point of view in the Gospel of Luke. So um, let's take a look at it, guys. Let's, let's dive into this. And again, the overarching theme, the thing that you need to remember when we study the birth of Christ is this. Light was coming into darkness. The Lord Jesus Christ, who's the light of the world, was coming into this world to show that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to the Father except by him. Jesus was coming into this world to make a way for you and I to be forgiven of our sins. Because that's what the gospel is. The gospel is how do we find forgiveness of sins? Excuse me, the gospel answers that question, which is in the life and ministry and death of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's dive into it this morning, looking at the birth of Christ in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 18. The scripture says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follow. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. First off, you need to understand, in the Jewish culture, there were two stages of marriage. There was the betrothal, the kiddushim, and then there was the marriage, the hupah. The betrothal period was a one-year period before they got married. And you could compare it a lot to what we call today engagement. The couple did not come together in sexual, uh, they did not come together sexually, they didn't live together, but it was a one-year preparation period. But back then in the Jewish culture, it was more legal than it is today. Today, uh, an, engage, an engagement is just a commitment. Back in their culture, it was more intense. It was a more deeply committed uh, purpose of going to marriage. Because a lot of times in that culture, the, the parents would choose the children at a very young age. And, and they would grow up and, and, and with the plans of, of them getting married. But what takes place with Joseph and Mary as the scripture says in verse 18, was during the betrothal period. This was when they were, as what we would call today in our language, engaged. But Jesus was conceived not by sexual relations, but by the supernatural and glorious work of the Holy Spirit. Interesting. I, f- I find this fascinating when you think about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, because we're getting ready to start studying it here in 2022. But the very first work of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is the third member of the Trinity making a way for the second member of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come into this world. We call it the incarnation. And we see the, 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 we see the whole Trinity at work. The Father sending the Son, the Son taking on flesh, and the Holy Spirit making the way uh, in, the, in the womb of Mary. God with us. Look at verse 19. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. I love verse 19 because it gives us a little information about who Joseph was. What does it say? He was a righteous man. He was a righteous man. That means that he was a committed believer in that day. He, He was a committed believer in that day. But how many of you guys know... Even sometimes, deeply committed Christians can be confused. Their world can be turned upside down. And that's exactly what was taking place 
in the life of Joseph in this moment. Joseph, being a committed believer, being a follower of God, he was confused. He was afraid, not knowing what to think. His world was turned upside down. And likely, being a committed believer, he was heartbroken. He was heartbroken because he was seeing things from the natural realm and seeing them from that angle. He didn't see the big picture. And he's on the verge of breaking it off. He's on the verge of breaking it off with Mary. But God intervenes. And I love how he treats Mary. Look at verse 19. He says, not wanting to disgrace her, he planned to send her away secretly. As a godly, righteous man, he wasn't into shame. He wasn't into blasting it across the billboards and saying, hey, did you hear what Mary did? No, he wasn't like that. He wanted, to, he wanted to do it. He did not want to disgrace her. He wanted to send her away secretly. He, he, he was confused, but he wanted to do the right thing. He wanted to do the right thing. But as we're going to see in verse 20, God intervenes, praise the Lord. Look at verse 20. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who's been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Joseph is so perplexed and so overwhelmed in his emotions and his thoughts, he can't think clearly. So God has to intervene by a dream, by a vision. And notice what, what the uh, angel of the Lord says to him. First he says, Joseph, son of David. He reminds Joseph. He, when, he, when, he says son of, when he says, Joseph, son of David, that's bringing to Joseph's mind the scriptures. That's bringing to Joseph's mind God. That's bringing, Joseph, bringing to Joseph's mind his Judaism, his religion, to think about spiritual things. See, sometimes we have to be taken out of the physical realm in our thinking and think spiritually. Think eternally. And he says, who has been he said, uh, this child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. No doubt Joseph knew the scriptures. He knew the work, the Holy Spirit this at work in the church today is the same Holy Spirit that was at work in the Old Testament. And no doubt in this vision, in this dream, calling him uh, saying that calling him son of David, saying he's of the Holy Spirit, it brought Joseph back down to earth. And that's what the study of Scripture does. When our world is in chaos, when things are going haywire, we need to go back to our foundation. We need to go back to our foundation of, of God and the Bible and get firmly rooted. And that's what's happening. The, 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 the God is intervening here. And to Joseph, and he's perplexed. And notice what he says. Uh, he, he says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Here it is, verse 21. It says, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name that's above all names, Jesus. This is the translation of the Hebrew word Joshua, which means Jehovah is salvation. Scripture 
the word of God in the New Testament, here in the opening of Matthew, the very first book, the very first chapter, the scripture wastes no time in revealing Jesus' mission. It says it right there at the end of verse 21. It says, he will save his people from their sins. Jesus did not come to bring holiday cheer. He did not come to bring us love, joy, peace, and lasting happiness. Jesus came into this world to address our greatest need. Your greatest need in this world is what do you do with your sin? What do you do with the guilt that sin lays upon us? I think about all the the sin and the darkness I lived in. And one of the reasons I came to Christ is because Christianity told me what I could do with my sin. I I could confess it, forsake it, and that God would forgive me by the cross. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the slate has been wiped clean and your sins are completely forgiven in Christ. He doesn't hang it over your head. He nailed it to the cross. That is why he came. Jehovah is salvation. The reason Jesus came was to save sinners from the penalty of sin. He came to deliver people from the power of Satan. He came to bring back the dead. And I just, there's this one phrase in verse 21. Look at verse 21. This one phrase I like. It says, he will save. Right there in the middle. I just want to pull that phrase out just for a second. He will save. So many people struggle with assurance of salvation. And I'm here to tell you, if you struggle with assurance of salvation, he will save. He will save you completely. All the way. He will deliver you. The New Testament uses three words that describe salvation. I just want to go over those real quickly. Because it says, he will save. But we have to do what the scripture says in order to be safe. Now, I just want to give you those three words. It's receive, repent, and believe. Those are the three words that the New Testament uses to describe salvation. And if you've done those three things, you can have assurance of salvation. The first one says, you must receive. Okay, There is a inviting the Lord Jesus Christ to come down. Lord, I surrender my life to you. Please come into my life. To all those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus said in John chapter 3, you must be born again. So in salvation, there is a receiving, okay? There is a receiving where Christ comes into your life and you receive him as your Lord and Savior. Now, the mechanics of receiving can come down to two words, repentance and faith. Receive, repent, believe. The, thir- the second word is repent. The, the, that word means you turn away from the old life. You turn away from sin. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you have it all together. But in general, you've turned away and you've repented of the old way of life, of all the sins, and you've turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's repentance. And then the third word is trust, is faith. You're living a life now where you're not trusting in your religion, you're not trusting in your church attendance, you're not trusting in your offering, you're not trusting in any other religious duties, but you're trusting in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone for salvation. 
And if you've done that, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've turned from the old life and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 21, he will save you, okay? Know that. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life, for God's wrath abides upon him, John chapter 3. But if we have the Son, we have life. We, we, we trust in him. He will save. He is mighty to save. And there's no one, there's no person in our world that is beyond uh, experiencing salvation. He specializes in saving sinners. Praise the Lord. He, ta- he specializes in taking people that are broken, that, that are broken by sin, and turning their life around when they receive, repent, believe, and put their trust in Christ. Again, it's not by works. There's nothing you can do. It's all been done completely at the cross. He will save. Let's continue. Verse 22. He says, Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Here he's going to quote Isaiah 7.14. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, which means God with us. Now why is Matthew, he quotes a lot of scripture in here. You need to understand this. The gospel of Matthew was written to Jewish believers. And he was, there's a lot of scripture, quote, Old Testament scripture quotations in the gospel of Matthew. And what he's, with his audience, he's saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. That Jesus, all those things that the prophet said, this, this prophesied in Psalms 22, Psalm 16, Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah chapter 9, about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the fulfillment. This is the promised Messiah and King of Israel. This is him. The virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ is no accident. It's firmly grounded in the prophecy of the Old Testament. Matter of fact, all of Jesus' life is laid out in the Old Testament. Did you know that? All of his, his entire life can be put together just from the prophecies of the Old Testament. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says that this Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. Psalms 22 lays out the crucifixion in graphic details. Matter of fact, Psalms 22 gives us more details of Calvary than some of the Gospels do. When you put them together, you see the complete picture of his crucifixion and how they crushed him to pieces. Psalm 16 uh, looks to his, and predicts his resurrection from the dead. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, describes his defeat of Satan at the cross. There are three, some scholars have counted, there are three, they've counted 333 prophecies of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And 104 of those 333 prophecies were fulfilled at his first coming. Okay? You know, we don't throw out the Old Testament. We don't disconnect from the Old Testament. We take the whole entire counsel of God because the Old Testament points forward to Jesus. The New Testament looks back at Jesus and it all points to the Lord Jesus Christ that he's, he's referencing here. Verse 24, And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. 
Man, praise the Lord for that vision. Praise the Lord for that dream. Joseph is seeing the big picture now. He sees the big picture, and he's starting to understand. He maintains his walk with God. He says, but he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. In other words, they didn't have sex until after they got married. As the Gospels record, that they had many other children after they um, were, were married uh, legally in the hoopah ceremony. But the way Jesus came into this world, think about it, family. It defies worldly thinking. In our world, people <clears throat> that are important get special treatment and honor when they come into town. By worldly standards, Jesus should have been born in Caesar's palace in Rome, in one of the very top rooms where it's all elegant and nice. Or maybe by the worldly standards, religious standards, the, the standard of religion, he should have been born in the Holy of Holies within the Jerusalem temple. But no, he came into this world through a peasant couple in a small rural shepherd town called Bethlehem. And the way that Jesus came into this world, he was showing one thing, that he came for all people, rich and poor, young and old. That's the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This beautiful, glorious gospel is for all people, no matter their status. You know, your soul, your soul is as equal in value as the soul of the President of the United States. Okay? Your soul is equal in value to the homeless person on Skid Row in L.A. Okay? Jesus came for all people. And he, he came through the nativity, through Bethlehem, through this manger, to, to, to show that he came for all people. There's nobody that can say, well, he's up there and I'm down here and, I, and he didn't come from me. That's not the case. Let's continue. Let's continue into Matthew chapter 2 which we are going to go to verse 12 this morning. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi, Magi from the east, arrived in Jerusalem. Magi, who were the Magi? Who were these guys? They were called wise men because they were experts in science, agriculture, mathematics, history, uh, politics, and religion. They had a special interest in astrology, and the movement of planets and stars. According to John MacArthur in his commentary, he writes this. He says, these were an elite class of men that would have caught everyone's attention as they came into town. These men arrived in Jerusalem, no doubt, with a great deal of show. Their attire would have included long, cone-shaped hats like those associated with a wizard. Probably not on camels, but most likely on Persian, Arabian, war horses. It would have been an imposing sight, end of quote. But they had one mission. Their one mission, think about these magi now, because we're going to talk about how did they find out? How, how did these guys know to travel uh, four months, 600 miles away to, to come? How, how did they know? Uh, how did they know a star would lead them to the newborn king? How did the magi 
whose one mission was to worship king of the Jews, how did they know about the Jewish prophecy? Give you five seconds to think about it. What's that? Mm, you got it right. Yes. Some people think, well, they saw the star. So they, they set out from Babylon because they saw the star. Well, actually, let's, let, let's go back. Turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2. Turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2. It will not be up on the screen. According to the Greek historian, as you're turning, according to the Greek historian Herodias, the Magi were a class of priests from East Babylon. Okay? So turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. We're going to look at this for just a minute and help you understand what prompted these guys to come and see the newborn king. Daniel chapter 2, we'll pick it up at verse 2. It says, Then the king gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. Okay, in verses 3 through 43, the king gave orders to interpret the dreams. They could not. So Daniel, so what, Daniel explains the four kingdoms of Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Let's pick it up at verse 44, chapter 2, verse 44. It says, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it itself will endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. That's, that's important there. Okay? It says the kingdom will last forever. It will take place in the future. In the verse, it ends with, so the dream is true and its, interpre its interpretation is trustworthy. So what Daniel is doing here in Daniel chapter 2, he's establishing the facts that one, there's a future king, and two, there's a future kingdom. Now look at verse 48. Daniel chapter 2, verse 48. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief pre prefects over all of the who? the wise men of Babylon. Friends and family, Daniel was over this elite class of men. And the Magi had studied Daniel's prophecies. They had heard the word of God. They had heard the word of God. They had studied what Daniel had written. They knew, this, these Magi, these guys from the east, from Babylon, they knew a kingdom was coming, and they came to see the fulfillment of prophecy. That is the reason why the Magi came from the east. Uh, Ezra chapter 7 verse 9 says it took Ezra four months to go from Babylon to Jerusalem. And a straight shot, if you got into an airplane and went from Babylon to uh, Jerusalem, is about 500 miles but based on the trade routes that we know that were there, 
it would be somewhere between a six and 700 mile journey to go and see the newborn king, okay? These men were on a mission. Look at verse, let's go back to Matthew chapter two. Let's go back to Matthew chapter two. We've established who the Magi are. We've established where they came from and how they found out. And it says in uh, chapter 2, verse 2, they says, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Friends and family, the Magi were men on a mission. They were men on a mission. They were going to let nothing stand in their way. There was no distance too far for them to travel. As I mentioned a while ago, Ezra chapter 7 verse 9 says it took Ezra four months to travel and 600 plus miles it would take based on the, trade, the, the route from Babylon to Jerusalem. They were coming to worship the newborn king. They knew the prophecy. I believe these guys were believers from the far east and they were coming to see the Lord Jesus Christ. These were men on a mission. What is your mission in life? What is your mission in life? Is your mission in life, spiritually speaking, the most important thing in life? Your mission should be is to search out the scriptures, to search the word of God, to understand who Christ is, to understand God, to understand his ways. And then after you search out the scriptures, do like these wise men, do like these magi, and pursue Christ with all your heart. Go after him, okay? You go after him through studying the word. You go after him in prayer. You go after him in saying, Lord, increase my faith. Lord, I want to know you. I want to serve you. I want to worship you. That's how we today pursue Christ with all of our hearts. We search the scripture then we set in our minds to pursue Christ, and then we go and we worship the King. We worship the King, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's how these, that's how these men came to be. They were men on a mission. They were believers, I believe, and they were coming to see the fulfillment of prophecy. Okay, these guys were looking forward to the, the first coming of Christ, to, to, the, to the kingdom that would be established through the birth of the newborn king. You and I today in 2021 are looking forward to another kingdom coming. We are, we are looking forward to the rapture of the church where the Lord Jesus Christ splits that eastern sky and he comes again. And then after the rapture, the world goes into a seven-year tribulation period. After the seven-year tribulation period, there's the second coming of Christ. After the second coming of Christ, there's going to be a literal 1,000-year reign of Christ on the earth. I cannot wait. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be mind-blowing. All these thoughts of hanging out on clouds and playing harps and just kind of floating around in space, that is not biblical, okay? That is not biblical and that is not Christianity. We're going to be in a, we're going to be in a kingdom where we, you and I are going to, we're no longer going to have to live by faith. You're no longer going to have to live by faith because you're going to see Jesus with your eyes. You're going to see him ruling and reigning in the literal 1,000-year reign of Christ, we are, we are looking forward to his return, and we are looking forward to the fulfillment of Scripture. These ancient magi were, were just like you and I. They were looking forward to the fulfillment. Let's continue. Verse 3. 
Verse 3 of Matthew chapter 2. He says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Man, if you want a, a drama story, then sit back, okay? This passage in Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew 2 is the ultimate drama story. It's the, it's the, you see the mission of God, but at the same time, you see the attacks of Satan. You, you see this craziness going on. But in verse 3, it says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Herod the king, he was a very wicked man. He was a cruel tyrant. He was bloodthirsty. He was bent on dominating people. And history tells us he had his own wife and his two sons murdered. Okay? This was a vicious, cruel, dictator, ruler that was very, very evil. And he says, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Why was all of Jerusalem troubled with him? Because he ruled with an iron scepter. He was so wicked and he was so mean. He, 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 he uh, made people fearful of him. That's the kind of person Herod was. Let's continue and let's see. How many of you guys got my email this week? I, we sent out our weekly email and I said, and I challenged you in the email. I said, read the passage ahead because we, in about three or four verses, we are going to see the most diabolical, satanic, evil statement in all of Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, you're going to see the, the most sinister statement in all of Scripture. It's, it's about five verses down, but let's continue. Let's read these, these passages as we get to that statement that's made by Herod. Verse 4, he says, Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. You know, they were so fearful that if he snapped his fingers, all the scribes, all the leaders, they came to him, they bowed to him, and they would say to him whatever they wanted. If not, they would lose their life. And he, and he asked them, he inquires about where is the Messiah to be born. And they say, they say in verse 5, you know, in verse 5 and 6, it's like, they're not teaching, they're not exhorting, they're not encouraging, they're not prophetically speaking. They're really saying, well, this is what the scripture says. That's, that's their attitude because of his fierceness and his, his meanness. But, they, but it, says, it says, they said to him, in verse 5, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So Herod says, hmm, okay. There ain't but one king in this land, and that king is me, is Herod's thought. There wasn't, and he wasn't going to allow no one to compete with his kingship. So what does Herod do? Look at verse 7. Then Herod secretly called the Magi to determine from them the exact time the star appeared. And let's look at verse 8. Here's the most diabolical, wicked, evil, sinister statement in all of Scripture. Verse 8. And he said to them, excuse me, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, here it is. This is from the lips of Herod to the Magi. Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, Report to me that I too may come and worship him. This is the most hypocritical, 
diabolical, evil, satanic statement in all the Bible. This statement here is a pretext. It is a cloak for the real mission that is in hand. There's no desire to go and worship Christ. This is a murder plot. This is the wicked side of Christmas. This is no hallmark story, okay? This is a very evil, sinister plan. Look down in your Bibles at verse 16. Look down in your scriptures at verse 16. Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. We'll see this plan unfolding. He says in verse 16, Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged. This, this, was, this was his idea of worship. And he sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which had been determined from the Magi. When what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, a voice was heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. No hallmark story here. The spirit of Satan himself was in Herod. He wanted to murder Jesus. He wanted to kill Jesus. You see, Satan hates the things of God. Satan hates the things of God. And Satan, hear me clearly, Satan will do everything possible to keep people in darkness. It's like he drops a, a dark blanket over people's minds. He, doesn't, he does everything he can to see, keep them from seeing the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Christ is not about religion. It's, not, it's, it's about a real living faith where he draws you out of darkness into his glorious light. And let me just say this. It is beautiful. It is a beautiful thing to know the Lord Jesus Christ. To have this, the weight of sin lifted off. To have peace of mind. To have peace in our hearts. To think clearly and to know who you are in Christ. It's a beautiful thing. But Satan doesn't want that. And, and Satan does not want that. He wants to keep people in darkness just as well as Herod. This is the most diabolical statement. This is a very wicked statement that even in the very beginning, Satan himself tries to take out the Lord Jesus Christ. But God says, nope, that ain't happening. Let's continue, verse 9. Verse 9 says, And after hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east. And then he went on before them until it came and stood before the place where, child, where the child was. So there, there was this star. There was this star leading the way, illuminating the path. What did, it, what did it look like? What do you think? This majestic heavenly body. Was it a star? Was it a nova? Was it a planet? I'm not sure. But it was huge. And it was glorious. And it was beautiful. And it's going to bring such great joy to them. This star. You know, the stars that surround planet Earth are not the result of a Big Bang explosion. God owns each and every one of them. And each and every one of those stars that surround planet Earth at this very moment 
has a plan, God has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of them. Psalms 147 verse 4 says, He determines the number of stars and he calls them each by name. God is the sovereign Lord and creator of Mars, Jupiter, of the trillions and billions upon billions upon billions upon billions times 10 billion uh, stars that go out in every direction of, of planet Earth. He owns them. He owns the universe. Psalms chapter 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Death, they, they pour forth speech. Night unto night, they display knowledge. It's beautiful. It's glorious. I love science. I love science. I love the study of the universe. Because you know why? It all points back to the glory of the creator. God is in control of everything that we see in this world. Look at verse 10. It says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. You know, I'm glad it says they rejoiced. And they rejoiced and they had great joy because these wise men traveled a very, uh, a very far distance. They, they traveled for nearly, if it was by foot and caravan, we estimate it would have been about a four-month journey, roughly 600 miles. And that's a long ways to go. How many of you guys know when you take, especially the kids, when you take a long road trip, what happens there at the very end? You get excited. You get excited because the journey is almost over. You're almost there. It's time to get out of the car and stretch your legs and rejoice because you've arrived at your location. And these, these, uh, the Magi, according to verse 10, it says they rejoiced and there was great joy. You know, when you become a born-again Christian and you serve Christ and you commit your life to following and trusting him, there is re there's a, a spirit of rejoicing in us. There is great joy in the Lord, okay? We can walk in joy. We can have happiness in our heart. We can have the joy of the Lord as our strength because he is there and he is with us. And that should bring great joy to our hearts, knowing that he's called us out of darkness into his glorious light, knowing that we're serving Christ and we're not serving the world. That brings great joy. And let me just say, it brings great uh, peace of mind, too, to, to know Christ, to love him, and to not live with the burden of the guilt of sin on our shoulders because he's removed it. And he's, he's replaced our heart of stone with a heart of joy and a heart of rejoicing, just like it was taking place with these guys, man. They're like, man, we've been, we've been studying this for 500 years. We've been looking at this for all this time. And now we're getting ready to see it. It must have been amazing as they were coming up to see the Christ. Now, let's go ahead and work on our, our nativity scenes in our minds that we see. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 gives us, opens our eyes a little bit to the truth about what happened at the birth and what didn't happen. Look at verse 11. He says, after coming into the house, you see that? After coming into the house. doesn't say after coming into a horse stable, a barn, or a cave. They saw the child. The next part of the verse. They didn't see a, a newborn baby. Scholars believe at the, the, the visit of the Magi that Christ was somewhere around two years old. This was sometime after the birth. And it says, And with Mary, his mother, they fell on the ground and they worshipped him. 
proskuneo is the word for worship. It means to fall upon your knees and touch your head to the ground. It means to show reverence, to show adoration. You know, that's, they did it back then, but we should do it today also. We should fall on our face at the glory of God and the greatness of our God and King. How awesome and how majestic is the Lord Jesus Christ. How good God is. How amazing God is. How his goodness and his mercy has triumphed over his judgment in our lives through the Lord Jesus Christ. That should, that should cause us to worship. That should cause us to worship. Our life it should be a life of worship where we live our lives in light of the gospel. We say, Lord, I want to live my life in light of all that you've done, and I want to live my life in an act of worship to you, Lord Jesus. That should be the heart cry of every believer. True worship takes place when you and I are like the Magi. And think about it now. Think about this, family. As, we, as we've looked at this story of the Magi, how did, how did they come to this place of true worship? First, Number one, they read about him in Daniel, okay? You and I can read about Jesus in Scripture. Then after you read, then you pursue him. After they read the prophecies of Daniel and understood what their prefect had taught, then they followed through and they pursued Christ. Today, after we read the Scriptures, we say, Lord, I want to take this life like this magi, and I want to pursue And I want to follow you with all my heart. And then once they saw Jesus face to face, once they saw the baby in the manger, they, the scripture says, they proskuneo, they worshiped him. And so you and I should follow that same pattern as Christians. Search the scripture, pursue him with all of our hearts, and live a life of worship. That is Christianity. Let's finish up. Verse 11, halfway through verse 11. It says, then opening their treasures, they presented to him. And this is where, um, just so you know, this is where people say there were three magi. The scripture doesn't say how many magi there were, but this is why they base it. Um, This is why we see our nativity sets with three wise men. Maybe it was three. Maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't. I'm not sure. But whatever the number of magi were there, this is what they presented to him. Uh, They gave him... They presented to him gifts of gold. That, that, that presentation, that gift of gold, is a picture of his deity. His deity, his kingship. In the book of Revelations, when he comes back, it says he's coming back as what? The king of kings and the lord of lords. Okay? For the Christian, our king and our lord is not in our state, is not in our country, is not even in, on planet earth. He's in heaven above. He's the one that rules and reigns. He's the one that we pay ultimate homage to. He's the one that we obey above all rulers because he is deity, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this gift of gold represents. The next one is uh, frankincense. Frankincense is a perfume. It's a perfume. You know, Jesus was and is the fragrance of heaven. He is the fragrance of heaven It wouldn't be heaven without the Lord Jesus Christ. Heaven is heaven because God is there, because the Lord Jesus Christ is there. And then finally, uh, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, 
frankincense, and the third one is myrrh. Myrrh is a bitter herb. And I believe that this gift was a prophetic picture. Man, I I believe these guys, they knew the scriptures. I I believe they knew, they probably had the entire Old Testament. You know, if if they had the book, if they had Daniel's writings, then I have no doubt that they had other Old Testament scripture writings. But the, the gift of myrrh at his birth, myrrh is a bitter herb, and it was a picture of the Lamb of God being sacrificed at Calvary. That's what the myrrh represents. It represents suffering. It represents death. That deity, that God, the perfect Son of God, the sinless, perfect Lamb of God who never did anything wrong, he came to this world to die on a hill called Calvary at the cross. He suffered greatly for our sin. That is the love of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is the love of God. Let's finish it up. Verse 12. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. In other words, these were spiritual men. These were godly men, I believe. And they knew God revealed to them what Herod's true agenda was. And they said, we are not going back to that wicked, evil ruler. We're going to go back by another way. A second observation that I see in verse 12 is notice they came one way to Jesus and they met the Lord Jesus Christ and they worshiped the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the text says that um, the Magi left for their own country by another way. When you meet the Lord Jesus Christ, it will change your life. It will change the direction that you are going. And the more, Christians, Christians, the more you encounter God, the more you pursue him, the more you worship him, the more you commit to, man, God, I'm going to serve you. I'm going I'm to trust you. I'm going to get into your word. The more that you do that, the more and more and more that he will change the direction in your life. Are you not going in the exact direction that you hope you would be going in life? Keep pressing into Christ. Keep pressing into the Lord, and he will direct your path. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And what does the verse 6 say? What does the end of it say? He will direct your path. He directed their path. He will direct our path. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the story, the account of of your birth coming into this world in Matthew chapter 1 and 2. Lord, we love you. We praise you. And Father, help us. Help us to be like these magi. Help us to read about you in the scriptures, study the scriptures. And the scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Let our study of the scripture drive our hearts to pursue you and to worship you this Christmas season and all of our life. So Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we thank you for this beautiful word that you've given us in scripture as we've studied it verse by verse. 
In Jesus' mighty name I pray, Lord God. Amen.